Welcome back to another episode of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peake, MUFON Field Investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. And today we have a very special episode for you. We have UK author and researcher, Philip Mantle, who will be coming on the show today. We'll be talking about his book, Beyond Roswell, the alien autopsy film, Area 51, and the US government cover-up of UFOs. Also, we'll be diving into some of his early research and we'll talk about his uh, publishing company, Flying Dispressed. So strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Welcome to episode 20 of UFO Encounters Worldwide. Today we're here with our special guest, Philip Mantle. I'd like to welcome you to the show. How are you doing today? Uh, good evening, Jesse. Nice to speak to you. Absolutely. I've been uh, looking forward to this for a long time. Um, I've read your book and uh, followed your research from the beginning of my time looking into UFOs, and uh, you've been someone that I've looked up to in the field. Um, so I want to thank you for all your research. That's great, mate. I mean, you make me sound really old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, I wanted to, I guess, start from the beginning, um, where how you got to start in UFOlogy, um, where it all started. Yeah, I mean, it goes right back to my sort of teenage years, really, Jesse. I mean, as far back as I can remember, I I, I had a, an interest in a number of things. One was um, astronomy. Uh, then there was the space race. I, I loved horror films, but at top of the list was all things what we, we'd label as paranormal. Um, you know, I, I only lived in a small town, so getting access to information on, on this you know, phenomena was hard to come by, to say the least. But when I was about, I don't know, 13 or 14, quite literally, uh, the, the opposite side of the street was my, uh, my best friend's grandmother lived there. And she used to go into town and she used to go to the local spiritualist church. So I, I went with it a couple of times. Not that I was, you know, fascinated. I just found that the whole atmosphere fascinating jesse i didn't necessarily believe or disbelieve but it was it right. was one aspect of, of getting exposure you know to to the paranormal in that sense absolutely um and and of course i would read anything and everything i could get my hands on my mum was always a great reader but she liked novels so if you know if we found a book i would have it and um, so that continued i, I left high school when I was 16 in 1974, I told you I was old. <laughs> and didn't really know what to do with myself. I, you know, I, I went from job to job, but I still had this fascination for the subject. And I, I remember reading um, an astronomy book. And to this day, I couldn't tell you the title of it, uh, Jesse, but it had one chapter in it on UFOs. Basically quite dismissive. Um, which I found a bit hypocritical because elsewhere in this book, they were talking about fantastic theories about certain things astronomical that were only theoretical and were never proven. But yet, on the other hand, they were dismissing UFOs. I found that rather strange. So that intrigued me. So I, I read a couple of books on the subject. I, of course, in 1978, saw the Spielberg film Close Encounters. Right. 
And then in late 1978, over uh, into 1979, I went to work in what was then uh, West Germany. Couldn't speak a word of the language. And um, so I phoned my mother, my mom, and I said, you know, if you get a few books, mom, that'd be great. So she sent me a, a box full of books, Jesse, and somehow, I don't know where she got them from, but they were all paperbacks, but they were all on UFOs. So I couldn't sit down and watch the TV on a night well, because I couldn't understand a word of it. So I would read, you know. Right. Um, so when I came home in sort of um, April time of 1979, I, 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 you know, I got bitten by the UFO bug. And my mum knew about it. I had an aunt who lived just around the corner from us. We, I live in the north of England in a county called West Yorkshire. Okay. And the nearest large city is called Leeds. And Leeds, even to this day, they still publish an evening newspaper called the Yorkshire Evening Post. Now, my aunt used to buy a copy of this because we, we then used to live about five miles from Leeds. And she brought it around one evening and she said, have you seen this? And there was a, a little small... Uh, advertisement for the formation of the Yorkshire UFO Society. It was coming up that Sunday at two o'clock in Leeds. So I, met, I took this out and, and I didn't drive in those days. I caught the bus into Leeds. And on a Sunday at, at that point in, in the UK, I mean, everything was closed, Jesse. We're like a, the whole country was like a ghost town on a Sunday, you know. But I found this place. It was called Centenary House. In a ghost, and it was a large building, and the, the you know I found the, the room where everybody was congregating, and there was about I don't know 20, 30 people there, and two brothers had formed had formed the Yorkshire UFO Society. They were called Graham Birdsell and his younger brother Mark Birdsell. They put on a presentation, and they'd obviously been involved for a couple of years, if not longer, themselves, and I was just transfixed, Jesse. I I felt like you know, I found my niche. I found my place in life. And Passion. not only that, they had a, a table full of books as well, you know, so I could actually buy some books. So I paid my membership fee, which I think in those days was about, I don't know, two pounds for the whole year. Oh, wow. And we had, yeah, we had monthly meetings every Sunday, uh, once a month. And I, I so as it rolled over into the 1980s, we were just fortunate, I think, Jesse, because Yorkshire used to be one big county, then it was split up into north, south, east and west. So in the northern part, North Yorkshire, we have a, a national park called the Yorkshire Dales, beautiful part of the world. And for whatever reason, that we started to get a lot of sightings come our way from in and around the Yorkshire, parts of the Yorkshire Dales National Park. Not just there, but, you know, that's, and somehow they found their way to us. And so I, I jumped in with both feet. I, I was always the kind of young fella that wanted to know more. I mean, for, for example, if there was a button that said, don't press, I wouldn't necessarily press it, but I'd want to know what would happen if I did press it, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I understand. And it was the same with, with the UFO phenomenon. It was great to, to listen to people talk about it, to read about it, but I wanted to know more. And uh, one of the ways, of course, was to become involved in, in the research and investigation. And that's what I did. 
Um, and um, I was up and running, and that, that's how it all began. Wow, that's a that's a pretty good story. Um, <laughs> a lot of information there. That's pretty cool how you started out by going to the meetings and how it popped up perfect timing for you and how you got so passionate about the subject. Um, it's pretty similar to what happened to me. I got a hold of Eric Von Daniken's book, uh, Chariots of the Gods, um, and right away I was hooked immediately. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I mean, I read the book as well. I was fortunate enough to meet Eric many years later at a conference I was speaking at in Vienna, in Austria. And Eric was the, the keynote speaker. He kicked the whole thing off. But the night before the conference proper, we had dinner. Uh, not just me and him, but all the speakers. Now, I ended up sitting next to him. He'd probably never remember me. I'm one of a million people he's ever met. But he was a very affable, very charming guy, very talkative. And, he, he, you know, I, I absolutely, you know, loved meeting him. Um, it's amazing, ain't it? You read a book. And you never think, you know, you know, in a thousand years you'll ever meet that author. Absolutely. And yeah. I, yeah, and I did. Yeah, that's amazing. I hear a lot of good things about him. Uh, I hear it is a very intelligent man, very nice, easygoing guy, uh, down to earth. So that's pretty cool. Um, so if you, I guess you were a part of uh, uh, BUFOR, which is the British UFO Research Organization. Um, when did that all happen to come into play? Yeah, well, I, I, I joined Bufor uh, not long after joining the Yorkshire UFO Society. However, um, they were, although they were a national organization, a lot of their events were, you know, several hundred miles away in London. And I didn't drive at that point, so I let it lapse. And um, I continued with the Yorkshire UFO Society for, I don't know, up until about the, the late 80s. And uh, I joined the British UFO Research Association. I joined what they used to have, what's called a council of management. It's, it's just the, you know, the guys um, and, and ladies that run it. Right. And I had various uh, jobs to do within it. And I was asked to join, so I, I, I did. And um, no disrespect to the Yorkshire UFO Society. I just wanted to, to know more and learn more. And... Um, so I joined Bufora. Um, I went on, not straight away, but I went on to be their conference organizer. I became their press officer. Uh, and at one point for, for a number of years, I was also their director of investigations. So all, all the investigators and regional coordinators that we had around the country were, you know, under my my under my jurisdiction, if, if you if you like. Right. And and you know, and I found it absolutely fascinating got involved in all kinds of things i started lecturing and doing the old piece of radio and television and that kind of thing you know but uh, the more i got involved jesse the more it, you know the, the subject fascinated me and of course then i met um walter Hat walter andrus who was the head of mufon at the time and he asked me to be the MUFON rep for England, oh, okay. which I, yeah, which I, I was for a number of years. I, I met Walt on a number of occasions. I'd lectured at the MUFON symposium in North Carolina, South Carolina, okay. one of the Carolinas in <laughs> 1996. And, uh, and Walt came and stayed with me as well at my home. Um, and I, I had him lecture at a couple of our conferences that I organized. So, you know, we have a connection there. I was part of MUFON for a number of years. 
wow, that's that's incredible. I had no idea about that. That's pretty neat. Um, so you were basically the director of, of England, I would assume, right? Well, as far as as far as investigations went, and I, I used to run t- sort of all three positions at, at one point, you know, together, you know, press officer. I've been doing conferences as well. And no disrespect, got a lot of work, but once you get the right format, you can put the same format into place every year at the conference, but you just have different speakers or a different theme or whatever. And that seemed to work. The conferences we organized got bigger and bigger and bigger. So we kept having to change the venues simply to, to get a bigger one. Right. Um, uh, before I came on board, Buford's conferences were mainly in London, which was difficult to get to, expensive to stay there. So we, we, you know, we moved it to a couple of places first before we finally settled in South Yorkshire uh, in, a, in a city called Sheffield. Yes. And if you, if you look at the whole of the UK, Sheffield is pretty much bang in the middle of it. And it was well served by the motorway network. There was a, an airport, an international airport within about an hour and a half either side of it. The, the rail network came straight into the city centre almost. And it was a lot less expensive than it was in London when you were hiring venues and hotels and that kind of thing. Right. So, the, you know, again, we moved we moved venues within Sheffield. We moved to bigger premises and the conferences just got bigger and bigger, Jesse. And I met some fascinating people uh, as a result who I would probably have never met, you know, before uh, and from many different parts of the world as well and kept in touch with them thereafter. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to the recent one for my first time this year in Philadelphia um, and I got to meet everybody from the Philadelphia MUFON chapter, um, astronomers, um, intelligence people in the military, um, ex-military personnel. I mean, it was amazing meeting all these different people in one place, all coming together for a common cause. It was brilliant. It was amazing. Yeah. So I, I always recommend people attend such events if they can and su- support the UFO groups. We know they're not perfect. Um, you know, and but, but I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in them. I'm not a member of any UFO group myself now, uh, but um, I still like to attend the conferences when I can, and uh, long may they continue. Yeah, they're they're I think they're great. Um, it's a good way to get information out to people, and like you said, to bring people together and um, you know work together. And it works out really well. Um, and I just seen you that you were on the Invited show uh, with my buddy Johnny Summers. That was pretty cool. I watched that interview that you did with him over there. Yeah, he's a cool dude, is John, and uh, we, we, had, we, we were just chatting private really uh, recently as well. And um, I wish him all the best with the uh, the Invited. And it, you know, he's doing a documentary as well, which I've I've, I've been interviewed for, and that will be out next year at some point, I believe. Yeah, he's an amazing. He's an amazing guy. Um, he's a really good friend of mine. Uh, we're going to start collaborating very soon. So I'm happy to work with him. It'll be a good thing. Um, so I got a hold of your book, Beyond Roswell, uh, the Alien Autopsy Film Area 51 and the U.S. Government Cover Up of UFOs, which I believe came out in '97. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I've done, yeah, I've done a number of books. I mean, the first one was in 1994. Uh, it's called Without Consent. I, I did a revised edition not that long ago. But uh, Without Consent, for example, 
uh, deals with missing time and cases of what we call alien abduction, but only here in the UK, nowhere else, just the UK, because at that time, you know, a lot of, um, of the, the, the debunking community were saying that these abductions only happened in the United States. Yes, I remember you know, that. Yep. Um, uh, and I pointed out, well, no, they don't. They happen around the world. And yeah. here's examples in the UK. And my co-author was a chap called Carl Negatis. Carl had been a, a, a senior journalist in Fleet Street for many years. Uh, and that's how I got to know him. We collaborated on a couple of uh, features for a newspaper he used to work with. And um, the, the sort of overriding thing in the book, not just telling you, you know, the, the accounts that people had, but was pointing out the ordinariness of these people. They were just like you and I, Jesse. Right. They were about their everyday, uh, you know, routine, going to work, meeting friends, you know, um and these things happen to them yeah uh, out of the blue i mean completely out of the blue i mean one one gentleman who I, I just spoke to again today many years after his encounter he was actually a police officer on duty in his patrol car when, yeah. it, when the incident happened yeah you know and and so i was emphasizing that whatever the abductions are they happen to everyday ordinary folk just like you and me, and not just in America. No, you know? everywhere. It's worldwide. Uh, that, that, that kicked it off. I've done a number of books since then. I'm not, I'm not the world's greatest author, I, 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 I might say, Jesse, but uh, I try my best. Uh, that's all we can ever do, right? So but Yeah, so, um, absolutely. I also seen that you, um, you, ha you, got, you had your first print machine back in the day, and you were involved with UFO Magazine. Um, how did that all start? Well... When we started the Yorkshire UFO Society, or should I say, when I started at it, it was it was set up by the two brothers, Graham and Mark Birdsell. And we started our own little newsletter, and we called it the UFOS Journal. And it was actually on a, a machine we called the Gestetner. And it was a hand-cranked little machine we used to have, just you know, just a desktop thing. And we produced our newsletter, and we maybe do 20 or 30 of them, you know, and we thought this is great. Absolutely. <laughs> we then, yeah, we then moved on. Mark Birdsell lived on the uh, the seventh floor of a, an apartment building. He had a, he had a, we call it a flat, you could probably call it an apartment. Yeah. And we decided to invest in a printing machine. And this was about the size of a, you know, a, a fair-sized uh, refrigerator and uh, and we didn't know how to work it we bought it second hand i remember when they delivered it sometimes the uh the lifts in the building wouldn't be working properly <laughs> and there's no way we could get this up seven flights of stairs and anyway, we managed to do that oh my god and uh mark managed to figure out you know at some point how to work the damn thing so we then produced what was called the ufos journal and it was actually printed out, but we still hand stapled it. But this was, you know, a marked improvement from our first effort. And then Graham went on with a, with a number of colleagues, including Mark, after, not long after I'd, I'd moved on, to make um, UFO magazine. This was a full colour, glossy magazine available on the newsstand. 
and it sold in copious amounts in many different parts of the world and was a, a great success. That's awesome. But it had its yeah, but it had its forerunner. It started off as the humble UFOS journal, of which I still have some copies. You know, they are rarer than hen's teeth, Jesse. I can I assure they you, are. they really yeah. are. You know, uh, and that's how it all began. And then, sadly, some years later, Graham died all of a sudden. You know, very unexpectedly. And his wow. his son-in-law, Russell Callahan, continued as editor for about six months. So I, I just helped Russ uh, during that time period. Um, Graham had helped many people down the years. So one of the things I did was put on a, a little appeal out for, for articles, you know, and, and it, it was amazing how many people said, yeah, Graham did this for me, did that for me. I have an article on this, I have an article on that. And it was just to keep the magazine ticking over. But in the end, you know, it, 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 uh, it it, it you know it came to its its a bitter end, but it finished and uh, but you know it had very humble beginnings, Jesse. I remember speaking at what became uh, Graham's last conference. He, again, he he built the conferences up bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And it was 21 years of conferences that Graham had been doing, and I was a speaker at it. And he introduced me. It was at uh, Leeds University, one of their buildings. And so he'd, done, he'd introduced me and I'm stood at the podium and Graham was just about to walk away when I called him back. And I, he didn't know this was coming, but I actually had some um, some slides of when we did our first conference back in the 1980s. And um, I showed these just to show people that, you know, again, the, to build the conference from where it began to where it was then was a lot of hard work involved. Absolutely. And I just wanted to show how it began. And, and Graham's wife was there. She was crying because she was involved at the time. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I knew, you know, I knew Graham extremely well. And uh, sadly, the magazine is no more. Right. Well, at least she has some copies left over because I bet they are rare. I bet you barely, you know, there's not a lot of them in circulation, right? Well, you know, the early ones that were made by hand, definitely not. But the ones that um, Graham printed and came on the newsstand, I mean, he was selling. 30, 40,000 copies at a time. So you can still wow. find those, but the early ones, very few and far between. Right. Okay. And was it, well, I mean, in the magazine, I guess you guys had sort of something like what MUFON does, like a monthly journal where they put out uh, top sightings and abductions and stuff like that. Is that what it was about? The, the content? Yeah. I mean, I mean, UFO magazine covered everything. I mean, you know, it was Graham's magazine. He was not only the publisher, he was the editor. So it reflected a lot of his own interests within the subject, but it literally covered every, anything and everything, quite literally, Jesse. And um, there isn't a magazine uh, on the newsstands that, that, I, that I know of today. No, there's in, not. In the UK or the US, they've all gone. Yeah, they're all disappeared and all gone. And, they're, and I mean, I've been to multiple different bookstores and I try to ask for them and, and nobody has gone. I mean, they're really hard to get. Um, you have to go online and order them on eBay or, or places like that. It's the only place you can really find stuff like that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we have about uh, two minutes left. Um, so I guess um, we'll talk about the the, uh, the alien autopsy for the second half of the show. I did want to get into that because uh, people did have a lot of questions about it. Um, but... Uh, so flying this press, uh, that's what you have now started yourself. 
um, which is one of the ways I got in contact with you. Um, how, how's that going for you? It looks like pretty well, good. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I set up my own little publishing concern, Flying Disc Press, in 2015. And uh, just a year later, I took early retirement from my proper job and uh, concentrated on it full time. And so far, we're doing all right. We've kept our heads above water. Uh, we've had a couple of Amazon bestsellers, much to our surprise. And I've managed to publish books from several different parts of the world as well, from Poland, from Romania, from Japan, from Brazil, from Italy. So they're not all UK and, and US based authors. And uh, literally just yesterday, I was speaking to a young man in Moscow, uh, in Russia, who I hope will come on board with some of his own unique UFO research. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that'll be great. That'll be amazing. You don't really hear too much about Russia and Moscow and those areas. So that'll be nice to have something like that. Um, and we just had one of your authors on, uh, Ryan Musgrave Evans, a couple episodes back. What an amazing guy he is. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. Ryan from Down Under in Australia. Yeah. And uh, he's got an amazing book out. Uh, um, it's called The Children of Orion. I, yep. I have a copy quite literally sat next to me. I've got piles of books everywhere in here, Jesse. And he, he is a, a delightful fella. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I would I would urge everyone to, if you haven't listened to your show already, Jesse, to go back and listen to it. And it, it's nice to be. I mean, you can't get any further away than Australia. Yeah, here on Earth. Absolutely. So uh, it's got a, a very different viewpoint to a lot of people, but nonetheless interesting. Yes, very interesting. And we've actually kept in contact. We've been talking here and there. Um, very bright guy. Um, so he's really cool. But um, we're going to go ahead and take this break now. Um, and when we come back, we'll get into the alien autopsy and some of the other research that you've gotten into. So we'll be right back with UFO Encounters Worldwide. Stay tuned for the second half. Hey, did you know UFO Encounters Worldwide has an official website for the podcast? That's right. You can go to ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com today and check out all of the cool content we have on the UFO phenomenon. You can get all of the content and information for each episode on the website. Plus, you can follow my travels and see some of my work. There's even new weekly updates on the UFO phenomenon with megalithic structures and different places from around the world with UFO sightings. That's ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com. Check it out today. Hey everyone, it's Jesse Peake, your host from UFO Encounters Worldwide. Have you guys ever had a UFO sighting? Go to MUFON.com where you can report your UFO sighting and a field investigator will get in contact with you and investigate your sighting absolutely free. I'm a field investigator from MUFON in Pennsylvania. I do it all the time. It's a great, great organization to report your sighting and actually get real feedback. Check it out at MUFON.com today. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peake, at ufoencountersworldwide at gmail.com today. 
All right, and welcome back to the second half of uh, UFO Encounters Worldwide with our special guest, Philip Mantle. Um, right before the break, we we're, were talking about getting into the book that you wrote about uh, Beyond Roswell and the Alien Autopsy film, which I get a lot of questions about. Um, and you did a lot of investigations into this, correct? Mm, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've done more than anyone. I was in the thick of it, you know, right from day one, Jesse. I mean, it actually goes back to 1993. I, I was before as press officer, amongst other things. Right. And we got a letter from a company called the Merlin Group in London, just basically asking us if we could assist with a UFO documentary. So I, this is before email, I wrote back, sent them some information about who for, I told them what we could and couldn't do. And uh, <clears throat> the gentleman who owned the company was a man called Ray, Sant Ray Santilli. So we exchanged letters and we exchanged a couple of faxes and things like that. And then I spoke to him on the phone and um, eventually during the telephone conversation we were having, he sort of changed tack entirely. He said, well, actually, Philip, I have film of the, the, the UFO crash at Roswell and the aliens being dissected. So I said, well, yeah, great. Yeah. Show me. <laughs> Absolutely. So the conversation went, yes, I can, no, I can't. No. So in 1993, the, the movie Firing the Sky came out about the Travis Walton encounter. Yes. And Travis and Mike Rogers were coming to London to help promote the film. So I arranged a speaking engagement for them in London. And Ray Santilli's offices weren't that far from where we were having this uh, event. So I invited them along. Uh, I met Travis and Mike, they were great. And I spoke to Santilli afterwards. And he then went on to tell me that in 1992, he claimed he'd been in, um, in, in the United States, in Cleveland, Ohio, looking for film of the rock and roll stars before they became famous. His main line of business was music, music memorabilia. And he said he bought a, a, a clip of Elvis from a chap and there was no problem with the copyright. And he paid him cash for it, thank you very much. He said that then this, this elderly gentleman came back and said, well, if you think that was good, before I was a freelance cameraman, I was in the military and I, I filmed the UFO crash at Roswell. No, uh, and I and I still have some of the film. That's that's a shortened version of the story. So again, I just said, "Well, that's a great story, Ray. Would you show me it?" Yes, I can. No, I can't. Yes, I can. No. So in the end, I, I told him to. Uh, I can't say this. Go away. Um, so we moved forward in time to 1995, and a package arrived on my desk, and it was a movie called Roswell, made by Paul Davids. It was just being released here in the UK uh, on video. Okay. Uh, and we'd been sent a, a review copy. And it reminded me about this, this guy, Ray Santilli. And I, I got his business card, so I pulled it out of my, my file. And I phoned him up. And I said, are you still saying you've got this Roswell film? He says, yeah, Philip, but you don't believe me. So I said, well, I can't believe you until you show me it. So he says, OK speak to my secretary and make a date and come on down. So I did. Me and my wife drove to London to his offices, sat in his office, he put the video in the, in the video player, and hey, presto, we started to see what he'd been talking about. Over the next couple of months, we saw more and more material. 
there's actually two autopsy films, Jesse. Only one has ever been shown on television. I've seen them both. Okay. And so I said, I said to Seth Ray Santilli, what, what do you intend to do with this film? What are you going to do? He said, well, I'm going to make my own documentary and I'm going to sell it. You, you know, you might be able to buy it in your high street video store or you can buy it direct from me. Right. And just thinking on my feet, I was also then as well Buford's conference organiser. Already conference organised for, for uh, August of 1995, already set up. So I just said to him, will you show it at our conference? Yeah, really? And to my amazement, he, he said yes. Because I thought it needed a bigger audience, Jesse, and I thought by attaching it to our conference, it will get exposure. Of course. And uh, there was no contract. There was no money involved. He said, I want you to work uh, for me as well, Philip. What, what do you want me to do? So well, I'm making my own documentary. I want you to, to, to write it for me and, and line up interviews. So I did that. That was totally separate. And... The, the, the news of the alien autopsy film leaked out to the media quite by accident, nothing to do with Santilli. It was me that opened my mouth when I shouldn't have. And that's when all the television and newspapers and magazines became involved and he changed his plan. And of course, he came, he came to Sheffield in August, showed it at our conference uh, as planned. Uh, we had a when, when he showed it, Jesse, there was, you could have heard a pin drop in the theatre. I mean, this place is packed. Right. We'd film crews there from all around the world. We even had to hire another theatre upstairs and broadcast it all by closed circuit television because such was the demand. Wow. And then the, the following day, it was released on television in the United States. It was Fox, of course, with the, the show Alien Autopsy Fact or Fiction. Yes. Uh, and then it was shown... You know, it, it was literally broadcast around the world, and it was such a massive story. The, the, we had the, the birth of the internet and email at this point, so it was probably the first UFO argument, so, so full-blown war that ever happened online, you know? Yeah. And suddenly made a lot of money of it, and I just kept digging away at it. I thought, now it's out on television. Surely somebody will step forward i'd achieved my goal of getting it out there and i thought somebody may come forward and say that's me i'm one of the actors or that's filmed in my studio or right or someone might come forward and say you know what philip my grandfather told me exactly the same as this story i never saw the film but this is what my granddad told me or, or something along those lines but actually jesse nothing happened I mean, not a, not a squeak, nothing. It was the old tumbleweed effect, wow. you know, yeah. nothing. So all we had to work with was what, what we could see on the video. And I kept chipping away, chipping away in public and in private with Ray Santilli. I supported him wholeheartedly. This was a decision I made, rightly or wrongly. But behind the scenes, I just thought, I'll, I'll, I'll find out what, what is behind this film. It became personal because there were certain individuals accused me of being Ray Santilli's accomplice. Oh, wow. Um, that he, he paid me tens of thousands of pounds. The reason for that, Jesse, is because at the same time, my wife and I were having an extension built on our house. And people were thinking, well, where does Philip Mantle get his money from? Right. He doesn't have that kind of money. Right. 
Well, they were right. I didn't. But my wife did. She'd had her own property before we met and she now sold it. And we used some of the proceeds to build the extension on our house. We had a young family, you know, two little kids. So we needed a bit more room. Right. And, and so it was for personal reasons. I thought I'll, I'll, I will stick to this and I will get to the bottom of it. I thought in pretty quick time, but it, it actually took me a lot of years. So I chip away at it, chip away at it. I, I first found the man who made the dummies. Now we've been looking for a special effects guy and I spoke to a lot of them, both here and the US, and nobody had a clue. I would, I would ring one gentleman and he'd say, it looks like Bill's work. So I'd <laughs> ring Bill and he'd say, it looks like Fred's work. Uh, so I'd ring Fred and he'd say, look, and I was just getting nowhere. Turns out it, was, it wasn't a special effects expert as such. He was actually a sculptor trained at the Royal Academy here in the UK, whose work every now and again had, had fallen over into the film and television. And um, his name was John Humphreys. Okay. And we eventually got to speak to him via a third party. And he was thinking about coming out and telling, you know, telling his story. And then it all stopped. And just as it stopped, he said to us, it's not me you need to speak to anyway. It's Spiros. That was it. Um, what was happening behind the scenes was that Ray Santilli was actually making a, a movie. He's trying to do a movie deal. Okay. And John Humphreys had been signed up to make the dummies for the movie. Ah. So... Obviously, he signed a contract. That was him not talking anymore. What is interesting, did you see? I, I find, found out the company, the film company here in the UK that was making it. I got in touch with them. And I knew they wouldn't tell me about the movie and who was starring in it. because they, they, you know, But I, I put in a little throwaway question one day. I was speaking to one of their executives via email. And I said to her, I know you can't answer a lot of questions. Just one thing I am interested in is who's doing the special effects for you. She says, oh, that's no problem. It's John Humphreys. <clears throat> He's making the dummies for us, and he made them for Ray Santilli as well. How about that? Uh, so we had this name, Spiros. It meant nothing. I didn't know if it was a name or a place or a company or what, you know. And then it was round about, I think it was 2005, 2006, colleague of mine who was doing his own little magazine called UFO Data, a chap called Russell Callahan. Um, I used to write a few things for him for the magazine. And he got a phone call out of the blue from a gentleman saying, I'm the man who made the alien autopsy film. So Russell said, well, it's not me you need to speak to, it's Philip. So I rings this gentleman and guess what? His name is Spiros Malaris. Uh. <laughs> he, 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 lived, he lived near London. He was born in the UK, but his, his family are of Greek heritage. And Spiros um, was a filmmaker. He was a magician. Uh, and he told us the whole story of how he became involved with Ray Santelli and made the alien autopsy for him. Um, I went to Spiros's house sometime later. And I double checked his story. He had his diaries from the date, from that time. Um, he had faxes from Kodak. He, had, he actually painted a storyboard. Yeah, you know, hand because he's quite a good artist himself. 
boxes and boxes of research material. So not only could he tell the story, he could support it as well, GSC. Right. And um, and that was the end of it. You know, we found the man that made Sam Tilly still goes on about this mysterious cameraman and all this kind of stuff. And literally, as we speak, I I I, I wrote a, a book called Roswell Alien Autopsy. I did a revised edition, made it large format. And I put lots of the documents in there and the faxes that I got. And so you, not only can I paraphrase what I'm, what I'm talking about, you can see the actual letter or fax or whatever. Okay. But Spiros Malaris has his own book out today. It's actually available today. Okay. So, you know, he's telling his full story for the first time in his own way. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot more happened in between, Jesse. It was a, a long-running story. It took me a long time. But I got there in the end, and um, you know those same idiots that called me an accomplice to Ray Santilli have, have disappeared. You know right. they're not around anymore, thankfully. But I, I proved my point. So a lot of people say, "Well, it's a hoax, Philip. You know it, it did bad things for the subject." No, it didn't. The alien autopsy when it came out in 1995 was such a huge story, Jesse. Yeah. I'm meaning massive that it, it, it actually lifted interest in the subject in general. Um, as an example, there was a, an author here in the UK who had a UFO book out at the time, and she complained. And I said, well, I happen to know that such was the demand for your book, it sold out, and your publisher had to reprint it. So you're not one to complain because you benefited from it as well. Right. She didn't like that, <laughs> you know. But it was a big, big story. And, and at the end of the day, yes, there was the likes of the late Philip Class and, and a whole host of others said it's a fake. But none of them could prove it, Jesse. I mean, not one of them. And at the end, the guy who started it all off became involved from day one, which was me, you know, a, a, a well-known UFO researcher. It was me that finally exposed it for the fraud that it is, the fake that it is. And and could tell you every, you know, everything that happened along the way, and it's all in my book, Roswell Alien Autopsy, and and there you go. So that's amazing, um, because this is this is so hotly debated today. Um, I mean, literally yesterday I was on Twitter, and and people are arguing still, thinking that it's a real film, um, and but we all know, I mean, the, the people that really have done the research and people like yourself getting the message out, we know it's a fake, we know it's been hoaxed. Um, and I also heard that Santilli, he was trying to say, even though he faked the film, that it was based off of something that he was told that was supposed to be true. Is that right? Yeah, he, he said he made a deal to buy the film. It took him a while to raise the money. And by the time he got the film, sort of a year later, it had corroded so badly, there was only a few frames left. So they, um, uh, you know, redid it. Right. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, it, it had survived, you know, 50 plus years in this gentleman's basement or whatever. Isn't it amazing how it suddenly deteriorates in a year? I mean, yeah, you know, it was, it was nonsense. But he, right. you see, I think I think legally, Jesse, if he admits that if it was all a fake, he, he could be on dodgy ground with a lot of the television and broadcasters and magazines. I don't know whether they would take legal action against him. I think it's highly unlikely. But ne but nonetheless. Technically, I think they, they may have a case. Right. Uh, and he still crops up. I mean, I've met Ray many times, you know, and uh, I, I I have 
no, no ill feelings towards him, you know, but it, and I've said to him, when you're ready to tell me the, the true story, Ray, you know where I am. But you know, as well as I know, that I know that it's a fake. <laughs> <laughs> and so don't, don't give me any nonsense. Right. Uh, and, you know, please don't insult my intelligence with trying to say, no, it's, it's honestly, Philip, it's real. No, because it, it isn't. And, uh, you know, Spiros not only could tell the story, he backed it up with all this data and a lot more besides. And, um, for example, when Spiros was writing his book, he sent me one chapter to read. And this chapter was all about race Antilly. Uh, for obvious reasons, I, I won't go into detail of what it, but I sent it back to him and he said, Philip, what do you think? Was I too hard on him? I said, no, I think you, you were a bit easy on him, actually. He said, well, the point is, everything that I've, I've highlighted in that particular chapter, if anybody challenges me, I can prove, I've got the evidence here to prove what I'm saying. He says, I know other things, but I can't prove it. These are the things that if I'm challenged, I can prove. I can back up with, you know, material evidence. Right. So that'll give you some idea of, of, of what's in the book, uh, in Spiros's book. Um, and, it, you know, he self-published it. It's all singing, all dancing, full colour. It's not cheap, I might add, if anybody's looking for a copy. It's quite expensive. If you want the whole story, right from 1993, what happened afterwards, right up to date, then perhaps my book might be, you know, your cup of tea. Tell Spiros's story in there as well. And that's simply called Roswell Alien Autopsy. Get the revised edition. It's, it's made up of, a, of like a jigsaw puzzle on the front cover with all the different players involved. And Spiros is in it as well. And uh, it will show you what you can do if, if you are dedicated as a UFO investigator jesse you can stick with the case and let the evidence just lead you wherever it goes right. on this occasion it took a lot of years but it led me to eventually expose it as the hoax that you know we suspected it may well be right but suspecting it is not good enough is it no not at all and some people say well you were at it for a lot of years philip i said well look at some of those that have been involved with roswell for example yeah They've been involved 30, 40 years. Decades, yep. You know, so there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, you know, and, and you can do it. There will be cases that come, come up, Jesse, where they happened a number of years back, but you can continue to investigate them down, down, down the years. And, and the alien autopsy is but one example. There are, there are, there are many others. Right. Yeah, and that's I, the thing is, you just got to stick with it. Um, if you want to be a real researcher, you want to do this, just stick with it um, and, and follow it out. And usually you find the answer. It, it might take some time, but eventually, like you said, um, things do come around. So that's it's good to hear it from you, you know. Well, what, what I used to say to myself, Jesse, is that every now and again, I would shake the alien autopsy tree and see if anything <laughs> fell out of it. Most of the times they didn't, but every now and again, they did. Right. And. You know, for example, one year somebody said, oh, I think it might have been a, a, a science fiction film that was made in Brazil. And I got a, an address of some chap in Brazil and I wrote to him. And of course, he wrote back and he had no idea what I was talking about, you know. <laughs> but nonetheless, I followed that lead up. It came to a dead end, but I, but I followed it. And uh, wherever it went, you know, I, I chased after it. And eventually I got there. 
I, it just took me a lot longer than I than I expected, I'm afraid. But that's the way it goes. Right. And you got the you got the real based uh, fact based evidence, and you did what you had to do, and you got the answers for people, which is great. Um, people needed to hear that. People needed to know the truth, and you did that. Exactly, and I, and I know what you're saying about Twitter and you know um, Facebook and things like that. I, st I still see people's comments on there saying that you know it's real, and there's one or two sort of well-known names in in the field as well still saying it's real. They have. Oh yeah. Obviously, not read my book to begin with. Right. Um, and if I would quite happily send them a, a, a PDF copy of it free of charge, um, but they still—I know they still wouldn't read it, regardless, because they have their own belief system, Jesse. That's and, right. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're involved in the UFO subject for whatever means. I, I don't exactly. know. We know. Um, <laughs> you know, and. I don't want to fall out with anybody. I don't. I don't like. I don't like arguing or getting no, involved in, in heated debates. But the evidence is there, and it's as it is as simple as that. Now there is no no debate left to be had, and um, right. you know I refuse to write any more about it because I I I'm done with it. I don't mind talking about it. I'll, I'll it will always be with me, um, but it is a fake. And if anybody tells you different. Tell him to talk in nonsense. Yep. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 just good to know the real truth about everything um, and to talk about it. Um, so it was great to hear that. But um, I also want to ask you before we go, because we've got about four minutes left. Um, if you ever had to pick one thing that you ever investigated or researched, what was your favorite UFO case that you have ever done? Well, it's something I got involved in in 2017, and it's the um, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker abduction Pascagoula. at Pascagoula, Mississippi, in 1973. Yes. Uh, Mr. Parker's no longer with us. He died in 2011, but yeah. I, I, I managed to persuade Charles, uh, sorry, Calvin Parker to tell his full story for the first time ever, uh, and we published that in a book. Uh, it was called uh, Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter. That became an Amazon bestseller. We followed it up with Pascagoula, The Story Continues. Um, uh, and we now have a book out by Dr. Irina Scott on October the 1st. I believe you're going to be speaking with Irina. Yes. And that's, that's called Beyond Pascagoula, The Rest of the Amazing Story. Uh, and we've, again, just from a pure research and investigation point of view, Jesse, we have found out so much more and uh, it's been staggering and a lot of that research will be out in Irina's book she's helped uh, your own director of investigations Douglas Wilson at MUFON also assisted at times and I, I thank him wholeheartedly um, we're now doing a graphic novel based on you know, Calvin's account um, there is a, a five-part tv drama series screenplay already written and that's you know, being proposed to various TV companies literally as we speak. And Calvin and I uh, have also signed a, uh, a contract with a UK production company to make a three-part documentary series on it as well. That would have been done now were it not for COVID and plus the fact Calvin has been ill of late. So hopefully we'll start filming that next year. But we have uncovered and are still uncovering a whole host of information, Jesse. Uh, 
and there will be another book by myself and, and Dr. Scott next year. And uh, we have found so many different eyewitnesses, documents, photographs of, of little things. And when you add it all up, you, you know, you're left with an amazing amount of information. When, you know, in none of these books that we tell the readership what happened, we allow them to make their own conclusion. Calvin doesn't know what happened to him. He right. can only he, because he had another encounter in yes. 1993. Yes. Um, in 1993, he had hypnosis with Bud Hopkins. Yes. Uh, in 2019, he had hypnosis with Kathleen Marden. And um, Charles Hickson, also twice in the 1980s, uh, was hypnotized by Bud Hopkins. And we have the, the audio tapes of all of those. And they're transcribed and in the books, plus a whole lot more information, Jesse. And that's the one case that really stands out for me. I know I've been involved in it personally, but it it really does leave you scratching your head. Yes, it definitely does. It's definitely an interesting case. Um, I was watching a documentary yesterday actually on it um, and watching um, them speak about it and talk about it. Um, so it's definitely a good case. And that's why once I seen Dr. Arena Scott has published in that book, when you sent me the information, I was like, I got to have her on. So we're scheduled for October 27th at one o'clock. Um, so she'll definitely be on here to talk about her book, which is great. Um, and we got about a minute left. Um, do you want to tell everybody where they can follow you at and where they can see your work? I did put it all in the yeah, description yeah. below. So all the links Absolutely. are there. Just, just type into, into a, your search engine, flyingdispress.com. That's disc with a K, flyingdispress.com. You'll find me. I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm very visible. So you, if you want to ask me a question or, or you're interested in any of the other books we've, we've published, they're all on flyingdispress.com, and there's a way to email me there. Uh, and I, I'm here. I'm, e I'm easily, you know, I, I can e be easily found, Jesse, and I'm, yes. I'm willing to speak to anyone. I really am. Absolutely. I, I know that firsthand. And um, I really want to thank you for coming on today. The information was great. Um, we'll definitely have to have you back on maybe the beginning of next year and go over some of the information we didn't get to and some of your new work that you're doing. But that'll be great. And I thank you for coming on today. My pleasure, Jesse, and I uh, hope you have a nice day in Philadelphia. Absolutely. Thank you. And I hope you have a, a good day in West Yorkshire. Um, so that's the end of the episode for today for UFO Encounters. I hope you guys enjoyed all the information. Um, all the links for Philip's work and his websites are in the link and description below. Um, so definitely go and check that out. And next week we'll have our guest, Tom Carey, that will be coming on. So thank you for tuning in today. This is UFO Encounters Worldwide with your host, Jesse Peake. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.